Hey friends, it's Markley, and this is a bonus episode of Low Profile. Back in 2020, I tried my hand at turning tape from an earlier season one episode into a short audio documentary. So this is a sort of remix of the 13th episode, Searching for Scott Dunbar. I'd love to know what you think and whether you'd like to hear more work in this style. You can email me at lowprofilemarkley at gmail.com. After this, I'm taking a brief hiatus from new episodes until the first week of May. Then we'll be back on track, counting down the last five episodes of this season. I've also got a few low-profile trucker hats left. They're $25 shipped in the USA. If you want one, just shoot an email to lowprofilemarkley at gmail.com and we'll work it out. If short episodes are not your cup of tea and you really want to get into the weeds, some behind-the-scenes stuff, um, you can go to patreon.com slash lowprofile where I've posted the unedited interview tape for this episode. So it's uh, you get to hear the whole conversation sort of the mystery unravel a lot slower. <laughs> All right, let's go. Most people with a general interest in music history have probably heard some authentic blues music. Names like Robert Johnson and Lead Belly conjure grainy images of artists translating their own experiences in the days of Jim Crow and segregation, the Great Depression, and the dawn of atomic power. These recordings would become the soundtrack to an era and a blueprint for what would become rock and roll. By 1970, American blues music had evolved quite a lot from its humble roots to something global, with a slew of white, British artists paying tribute to or appropriating that sound, depending on who you ask. During this later period, just a few blues artists carried on playing the traditional blues style conceived in the Mississippi Delta region some 50 years earlier. One such artist was a self-taught musician from Mississippi named Scott Dunbar, born in 1904. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and you're listening to a special bite-sized episode of Low Profile. I want you rolling down, oh, tell me mama. If you I haven't heard of Scott Dunbar, it might be due in part to the fact that he defied the stereotype of the rambling blues musician. He had a family to feed, and he did it in the best way he knew how, farming and working his own business as a guide for tourists on fishing trips. All this was keeping him busy enough not to go from town to town playing at juke joints. Rather, he kept his performances and his music career local. Here he is playing one of his original tunes, Sweet Mama Rolling Stone. Say, tell me, Mama, why you see last night? Oh, tell me, Mama, Lord, why you see last night? I didn't come home this morning. This is from a record simply titled Scott Dunbar from Lake Mary, named for the small fishing village where Scott lived and worked, just off Highway 61. The album came out in 1970 on a small New Orleans record label called Ahura Mazda, and barely caused a splash at the time of its release. Then about 30 years later, the Mississippi-based label Fat Possum Records gave the album a second life, to the delight of a few unsuspecting music fans. But Scott's place in the canon of blues history is all but forgotten, and very little information about him is out there. 
According to his obituary in the Woodville Republican, he's quoted as saying he made his guitar out of a cigar box and a broomstick and some old screen wire when he was eight and played it like a violin. There aren't any recordings of that. But this is a recording from 1977 in which a Baton Rouge, Louisiana news reporter from WAFB-TV attempts to interview Scott at his Lake Mary home. The strange little noises here are the sound of the video camera starting up between takes. But just listen. Down by the river. Yeah, down you by from the around river. the same somewhere? Yeah. You from around here? No, I was born and raised down on Lake Maybe. You know why Lake Maybe River? No. Yeah, that's why I was born and raised down down there. I got a house on Lake Maybe. That's why I was born. It's coming. High water put me out of check out. Where'd you get? Where'd you cut on to him, and I made them old ladies with you. You like plenty moonshine then, but plenty moonshine you can smell that moonshine anyway. And if you take a glass of that, oh, they didn't know the boy was coming to the Scott Dunbar is a slender man whose youthful energy contrasts with his weathered appearance. He's visibly toothless, which might account in part for my own difficulty understanding him. Through most of the footage, the reporter's straightforward questions are answered with Dunbar's laughter-filled ramblings and sporadic bursts of music. And this is the one moment where the reporter got a straight answer to one of his questions. Yeah, sir. You know, sir, that to play the blues, you have to live the blues. Have yeah. you lived the blues? Yeah, sir, I live the blues. Have you uh, lived that, the blues? I live the blues. I live the blues, guy. I wish you talked more about that. Living the blues. But maybe he was in entertainment mode. After all, this was going to be on TV. Why bring the audience down? This paints a nice picture of what a joyful and enthusiastic man Scott was, but probably not the heartfelt biopiece that the reporter's boss assigned him to. This footage, by the way, was tracked down by someone I met through social media when I first started pursuing this story. I stumbled upon a post online from a guy named Joe Ropolo who lived near Lake Mary and was a fellow fan of Scott's music. I asked him if he could tell me anything I don't know about this mysterious man. A lot of people don't know who I'm talking about when I talk about Scott. and uh, He's really, really unique, you know, to me. Um, you know, kind of raw and not not influenced by record companies yet and stuff like modern music, you know. There's still some old guys left that play like that in the Delta, but not many. And and a lot of people don't understand it. The young people definitely don't, you know. But it's uh, it's kind of funny, you know. Um, when he would play here, if he didn't have a a piece of plywood to put on his feet to stomp on. He couldn't play, and if he would start without it, he would stop. And I can't do it. I can't do it. Somebody come out with a piece of plywood or something, and he would get right on it. You know. He started carrying his own after a while because not everybody had a piece of plywood from the city. So he started carrying his own around with him, and that was the story I heard most about him. You know, and like um, his daughter's still alive, and she's older now, and I'm. She was ill a while back, but I think she's doing better now. I eventually discovered a few paragraphs about him in a book called Been Here and Gone by the ethnomusicologist Frederick Ramsey Jr., who spent some time with him in the late 1950s and even recorded a few of his songs for folkways. 
This section of his book describes a hardworking family man with a penchant for the guitar and a head full of songs learned from memory. It also includes a nice anecdote about how the cabin where he and his family lived would literally float whenever the lake's water levels would rise after a heavy rain. The house was tethered by wires to a nearby tree, and Scott would gather up his family and livestock, some cats, a dog, chickens, ducks, geese, and a hog. They would all pile into a fishing boat, Noah's Ark style, and row out to higher ground until it was safe to return to their home. There is a picture of him with his wife Celeste and two unnamed daughters. Joe eventually helped me get in touch with Scott's youngest daughter, Jessie Mae Dunbar, who he had met working at a local grocery store in Woodville, Mississippi. Dad made his guitar out of cigar box. That's the first guitar he made out of cigar box. And I love him. I love my dad, the way he did and the way he played the guitar. And he used to sit there and stump his feet and he'd hold that guitar up over his head and play it. I gave it to the museum here in Woodville. He was a loving daddy, though. He was so sweet. He treated everybody the same. He didn't holler at nobody. He didn't cuss at nobody. Like, if us do, think us do something wrong, he would set us in a corner and talk to us. He wouldn't whip us. We walked to school every day, and then when I got out of school, we had a farm. My dad taught me how to drive a tractor. He told me one day, now, there's two ways you can go to the lake on the tractor, go in the lake, or either go to the woods. Say, what one would you do? I said, I go to the woods. I ain't going in the water. And we would fish, and we would, dad would be working, and we'd be in the farm picking cotton and corn and stuff. Then he taught us how to swim, taught us to a boat. Me and my sister taught us to a boat and let us swim. But I miss my daddy. I was looking at daddy's CD today. I got a CD. I got a CD in my house. Jessie's really proud of her dad, but I gotta say, I don't think I would tie my kids to a boat to teach them how to swim. Oh well. That CD Jessie mentioned. It's from Lake Mary, the album you heard about earlier. And the 12 songs featured on that record were from sessions that yielded nearly 50 tracks, the rest of which have never seen the light of day since they were recorded. I found out that the master tapes from those sessions survived Hurricane Katrina, but the reels of tape are extremely fragile, and if they ever do get played, there won't be a second chance to transfer them digitally. So for now... The album is the most comprehensive document on Scott's music. 
and it was produced by a guy named Parker Dinkins, who owned Ahura Mazda Records. It was recorded on location at one of the cabins where Scott worked. I couldn't get Parker for an interview, but I was able to track down the man who wrote the liner notes to the album, and it turns out he was also responsible for the recording sessions occurring in the first place. His name is Michael Wolf. A friend of mine named Bob Heron told me that uh, he uh, had been to parties where Scott Dunbar would provide the entertainment. And he told me how to, you know, that if I'd call Lake Mary, they'd, uh, Mississippi, they'd uh, tell me how to get in touch with him. And the reason I was interested, though, uh, I was interested in blues and also, I knew that uh, Parker wanted to record somebody, a blues player or somebody for their uh, record company. So I contacted Scott Dunbar, and I was not going to have anything to do with it after that, but uh, they wanted me to go along on the recording trip because they were city boys from... New Orleans, and they didn't know any black people, and they didn't know Mississippi black people, and they <clears throat> thought being from Mississippi and having shipped out the Merch Marine with black people that uh, uh, I would be able to co- communicate with Scott Dunbar better, and um, it sounded like a like it would be fun, and we didn't go to his house. We went to a sort of a, an area of cabins that were for rent for fishing trips because what he was was a besides a musician he was a fisherman's guide they would come up and put their boat in and he would go in their boat with them and uh guide them to where the fish were (laughs) we uh were originally going to record inside one of the rooms because it was kind of cold but we tried it in there, and the sound was kind of bad because the it was all wooden walls, and it was kind of hard, hard surface. So we sat out on a porch looking out over the lake, and he had an old an F-hole guitar. Seemed to me to be a little out of tune. You know, I, I had brought my guitar, and... He played my guitar on on these on this recording. It it sounded pretty good, you know. It was not the greatest guitar in the world. But we sat out on the front porch, and and he would tell stories, and he would sing songs, and then we you know made this made this recording. And then many, many years later, uh, I was at a, went to a little street festival in St. Francisville, Louisiana, which is down the river from uh, Natchez and Lake Mary. And there was Scott Dunbar uh, sitting on 
the street playing his guitar. And it was his same old guitar that I had rejected for the recording session. And he remembered me. You know, this must have been in the early 80s. So he was already pretty pretty old by then, but he was, he was still playing. And uh, so how it was like he did. Scott Dunbar passed away in October of 1994, but for those of us lucky enough to hear it, the music he left behind continues to speak volumes. Michael Wolff sums up Scott's success in the liner notes he wrote 50 years ago, saying, Scott Dunbar is not an unknown artist struggling for recognition. Being one of the most well-known men around Lake Mary has been enough for him. Special thanks to Joe Ropolo, who helps a stranger like me get the ball rolling on this project. He and his wife Nancy are blues musicians around Woodville, Mississippi. Big thanks also to Jessie Mae Dunbar for speaking about her father. And last but not least, to Michael Wolfe for his Scott Dunbar stories. This has been Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison. <laughs>